Buongiorno and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid to review the Italian Grand Prix. I am your host this week, Tom King, and I am joined as always by Chris Evans. Grazie ragazzi. And Stu Greenwood. Hello. Hello. Sorry. I was just taking Who a We didn't prepare there. any Italian. <laughs> tut, tut. No, I was, I was busy <laughs> supping orange juice. Um, or jus d'orange. Oh, wait, that's French. Um, I'm Close trying. enough. I'm trying. <laughs> Close enough. Yes, we are here this week to talk Italian GP. Um, I think we've been treated again as a just a general overview. I think we've had a decent weekend once more. Is that five in a row now? They've been six, six in a row. Yeah, yeah, six six good races in a row. Remember when F one was dead? Yeah, yeah. it's boring. This F one. <laughs> <laughs> it's no good. It's no good. Um, I'm gonna start just jumping straight into quality because. There is plenty to talk about in quality, and it all revolves around Q3, um, <laughs> most <laughs> importantly. But um, overall, for quality, though, just just briefly touch on it before we get any further in. Renault looked to be a legit fastest third team in a low drag setup. Um, yeah, I was quite surprised by this. I don't know about you two, but I was not expecting the pace that they had yeah. when they went to Monza. I think they were surprised by this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> I think it's maybe not a surprise that Red Bull weren't third fastest. Like for all of Honda's progress this last year or two, it's not a great surprise that they still maybe struggled at a track this power dependent. But then you'd expect McLaren to step into that yeah. uh, space based on previous races, wouldn't you? Mm. But apparently not. Yeah, Renault were... Looks. Yeah, they, it looks like they've somehow found a, a very efficient low downforce package with very low drag. It must be yeah. coefficient compared to some of the other teams. Like Red Bull are probably being the probably the most downforcey team, shall we say? Although usually they are very clean downforce, otherwise they won't be so quick. But being a yeah. very very downforcey—that's the word, downforcey <laughs> team. I like it. They're, um, I think they were always, no matter what amount of power, I think even if with a Mercedes or a Ferrari in it, it probably wouldn't have been as quick as even the Mercedes, that car. Yeah, there's only so much you can do to reduce the drag and, and make the change, yeah. isn't there? But yeah. it sort of made me suspicious over the, especially the quality sessions and even the race, made me suspicious of is Renault's actual general week-on-week problems to do with the aero package? The fact that if they strip it back, they're suddenly very they're actually very good in a low drag scenario without those components. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think that def- the, their problem is aero based for sure. because yeah. the McLaren's quicker. <laughs> exactly. I was just yeah. about to say it would also explain why the McLaren is normally better than them because. We've always said McLaren is usually a good chassis. Um, yeah. But I think this kind of proves that point to a degree. It does. And they're, and they're very good on aero this season. They've got a, they've got um, mm. P, PDP, um, <laughs> ac- ac- acolyte of uh, the legendary Adrian Newey. Yes. Sort of starting to bear fruit, I think, now in that team. And um, yeah, it shows in the, in the position in the championship, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Just... 
couple of unlucky weekends in McLaren, really. Mm, very, yeah. Mm. Um, so the the other part of quali, which <laughs> <laughs> is the thing that everyone was talking about on Saturday, um, mainly for the bad, <laughs> but what on earth happened in Q3? Like we, so we saw nine. Did not know all ten cars left for the second part of Q three, didn't they? No, first first half they did. Second half they didn't because one of them was out. Oh yeah, of course. So nine the went red out. flag right in the middle, wasn't there? Because of Raikkonen. Yeah. Ah, of course, yeah. <clears throat> so so we'd got nine on track, and out of all those nine, only two managed to finish a legitimate lap because nobody crossed the start finish line in time to start a flying lap, except those two. Um, there was a lot of jostling around, a lot of blocking, a lot of weaving, a lot of what I consider an extremely dodgy tactic of, oh, I've locked up, so I'm going yeah. to go through the runoff area of turn one yeah. in order to like shuffle yourself through the pack. There was, there was all sorts going on. And honestly... It looked like amateur hour. I'm, I was I was a little bit ashamed thinking if somebody is watching Formula One for the first time this yeah, weekend, right. they're looking at this and thinking, what on earth are these guys doing? Like, this is yeah, stupid. So silly. It was silly, <laughs> but at the same time, wasn't it funny? <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, for all the wrong reasons, but it, it was. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I mean, was... You said, fully laughing out loud i was doing i was eliciting <laughs> genuine lols <laughs> i mean as you say like hulkenberg like having to miss the first chicane when he was doing about 12 miles an hour was obviously just ridiculous yeah. Yeah. um there are a lot of heated words after that as well a lot of people were really really unhappy with how that had gone <laughs> Everybody um, basically blamed everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Half, Nobody took any responsibility for it at all. Half of them had to go and see the stewards in the end, I think. It started off with just um, Hawkerberg and Stroll, I think. And then it turned into like six different drivers had to go and give the stewards their version of events. Nothing actually yeah. came of it, did they? I think there were no, a couple of like... Reprimands, reprimands. Reprimands, yeah. Yeah, which I think was yeah. the right thing to do, really. Because like, if you'd given one person a penalty in that situation, they were all going to get a penalty because every single one yeah. of them was as bad as the other. Um, shall we break it down? Do you want? Do you, I can I can break it down a little bit for you if, if you want me to. If you want you gonna... to, you feel free to. Okay, so the so it started. We should explain actually before I get into this that for, for if you're new to F1 and you don't understand what the hell was happening, <laughs> what they were trying to do was get a slipstream behind. Yeah, a car, any car ahead to go faster, and all of them wanted the same thing. So therefore, nobody wanted to be at the front. So this meant that Hulkenberg um, and the Renault team planned to do what they did. They they had a plan to say their plan was basically if you are in the lead, coming out of the pits to do to set your to set your final qualifying lap take to the runoff area and let some people through. But he actually it wasn't unlike um Baku this year where there's also a massive slipstream and Mercedes went out first and then yeah. both decided to stop to do a quote unquote practice, practice. start. So they weren't yeah. at the head of the queue. And they did exactly that as well, we should yeah. point out. <clears throat> um in this in the Italian Grand Prix they 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 stopped at the pit exit. A load of people went by. It meant that Hulkenberg was in the lead. As a result of being in the lead he carried out the plan which was to snag a wheel and go into the runoff um 
which meant that what would have happened in a normal situation would be that Stroll and co would all file through and he'd end up somewhere near the back. But Stroll's engineer, wise to what was going on, said there's going to be some games here. Be prepared for some games. You know, you know what to do. So he waited, and so did uh, Science. I think it was in in turns one and two in the chicane. They and it resulted in the entire field sort of getting backed up loads, and then they're all suddenly jostling around for position, trying to get sort of behind each other. Weirdly, <laughs> yeah, which you don't normally see. <laughs> and they did that. Basically, they did that for too long, and the lights went red on the start finish line and time ran out before they got to it. So they couldn't actually set a lap, any of them. And there was, yeah, the only two to go through were, as you say, um, Leclerc and um, and Science. Yeah, yeah Leclerc and yeah. Science. And another, f- an interesting thing about that was Leclerc was supposed to go through much, much sooner and be ahead of Vettel. That was their plan. Because he was supposed so, to be giving Vettel a slipstream, wasn't he, as, as per Ferrari's plan? Yeah, exactly yeah. that. And um, he left it too late. Leclerc left it too late. And he only went when his engineer told him to after much kind of conversation leading up to that. Um, So he crossed the line just a little bit before the lights went red. And Vettel, being a bit further back, didn't cross the line in time, so therefore couldn't set a lap. Um, Yeah, and that was that. So that's an explanation, a kind of a, a brief breakdown of, <laughs> brief of the shambles of the absolute carnage. Yeah. I, I, another thing I want to point out about before we move on from qualifying, another thing I want to point out is that Vettel did exactly what Albon did at the Parabolica. He went wide. Um, and Albon in Q2 got his lap time deleted for it and had to set another one. And yeah. Vettel did. Uh, it's, it's almost ex- it's in a, it pretty much exactly the same part of the track. And for me, it should have been, it, that lap time should have been deleted. But if they do delete that lap time, then Vettel's like 10th on the grid. Well, 9th on the grid. Yeah. I very much enjoyed on the Channel 4 coverage, they had um, Stefano Dominicali uh, with them this weekend. Um, and they were asking him about that. And he was like, oh, no, no, it's fine. Like, part of his car's above the line like look at the shadow the shadow's on the line to which Mark Webber said mm. mate the shadow's not part of the car what are you talking about <laughs> yeah <clears throat> um, it, is, it was ridiculous that that really really the, irked me yeah my my opinion with this all weekend has been that F1 needs to book its ideas up and learn from other motorsports because plenty of other series have a sensor based system yeah, where there are sensors on the cars and there are sensors on the track perimeters, and if you trigger that sensor, you have gone too far. That that is it. There's no having to like review footage. There's no like you trigger that sensor, done, and your lap time is deleted. And it happens in just about every other medium of yeah. motorsport except F1. And I think F1 sometimes has this problem of. Um, we have to come up with it ourselves because we are the pinnacle. Like if we come up with something, it's fine for everyone else to adopt it because we're the highest tier, but we can't necessarily take somebody else's idea and work with it because we have to come up with it ourselves. And I think there's a little bit of that mentality sometimes, which means that things like that kind of get ignored because F1 hasn't come up with it themselves. 
And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes maybe something like that would just quite easily solve the problem because if you trigger the sensor, it's deleted. If you don't, it's not. It's quite yeah. simple, really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really is. I think, I, I, I think it works for everything else. It, yeah, I, I think it depends on the um, on this on this corner and on the system and on the location because something like a you know a laser based electronic system is much easier to implement along a straight than it is along say a, along the parabolica which is like a you know half kilometer long um well not half kilometer but you know a few hundred meters long turn so you could never apply a laser to a turn because lasers don't go around corners but <laughs> uh, th- th- i'm sure there are other systems that you could use to to police it but must Off the top be. of my head, I can't think of a way, um, from my knowledge of these things, that you do it there. There is one simple way, which is tell the drivers stay between the white lines and stop being ridiculous. <laughs> just, just stop doing it. Just, just stop going over the white lines. Full stop. Job Interestingly, done. <laughs> at um, Belgium, they they did run um, some sort of electronic system to police track limits at a certain part of the track. And not not a single driver, it wasn't very widely reported, and not a single driver all weekend triggered the (laughs) sensor because they knew that it works. Yeah, they knew it worked. They knew they would have their lap times deleted. And there you go. go. There's case in point. (laughs) Yeah, and not a single lap time was deleted. So you never heard about it. If if lap times had been being deleted, like we saw at Parabolica, uh, I saw at Monza, and like we've seen in the past at places like. um, uh, the Red Bull Ring and uh, and other other tracks, then it'd be all over. You know, the commentators would be yeah. all over it. You, you, you'd you'd hear about nothing but that. But the fact mm. that it was very quietly implemented and they all very quietly followed the rules means you didn't you didn't really hear a peep from it. So what you're saying is they don't need to implement an expensive system. They just need to tell the drivers that they have, and then they'll <laughs> stop running wide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, possibly. Yeah, you could you could say that. <laughs> Um, but I, I don't see a problem with the with the system that they've got, which is film the cars going around the track and see where the tracks are, which <laughs> see where the cars well, are in relation to the white lines on the track. Well, well you do have a problem with it because you brought yeah. up the fact that Vettel should have had his lab deleted. I mean, yeah, I have a, yeah. I have a problem with no, I have a I have a problem with the implementation of it. But okay, as a, yeah, as, that's fair. As a system, it works perfectly fine. Mm. It's just the people well, from now <laughs> applying the rules and not doing it. In my opinion, in my own personal opinion, and not necessarily applying the rules in a fair way what how can albon have his lap time deleted in q2 and have to set another one and the same thing not happen to vettel for making exactly the same as i mean and i mean exactly to the inch exactly the same mistake you know it's, it's so transparent it's so clear that to me like this was ferrari's weekend and the sort of powers that be were kind of scared to to not allow that to happen it but i was gonna like- say i'd I don't think this is the first time we're going to talk about rule consistency today. Yeah, I've got. Well, yeah, I've got. I mean, there's definitely other stuff that I've got um, <laughs> in my locker that I'm going to be bringing up later. Oh, on, I'm sure. I can tell you. Should we do the race then? Yeah, the race. That's, that's clearly what you want now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, early on, good starts all round. To be fair, other than one Max Verstappen, I'd say. Um, he seemed a little bit clumsy. At first, he seemed to be being smart and holding back and just letting the first corner happen and, and follow it. But then he got caught out by how slow some cars were ahead of him um, and clattered in the back 
of Perez, I believe. Yeah, it was. he was yeah, being was. incredibly cautious right up until the point he wasn't, and then he was in the back of Perez. Like, yeah. if he'd yeah. just carried on being that cautious for another half a second, he'd have been all right. Yeah, well, I think yeah. I think what happened there, it looked like he he locked up his rears, so he'd uh, he'd already started to sort of. If you, I watched I watched his race today, and it looked from the onboard like he'd. Um, he was already sort of drifting a little bit wide on the brakes. My favourite moment of that was David Croft on commentary saying he thought he got hit from yeah. behind. And <laughs> yeah, my, like... my instant reaction was, there was no one behind him, David. He was at the back. <laughs> the last car on the road. Who's getting it? Who's hitting behind him? Ericsson. He's, he's got, yeah, he's got, he's got a Grosjean moment. I think Ericsson hit us, guys. <laughs> Unless the medical cars had an absolute shocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was a, that was a comedy moment in a moment. Oh, I'm glad yeah, you that, yeah. <laughs> that pretty much ruined his race. Like he stopped early for a new front wing and never really recovered, did he? Did, did, if well, I'm right, you're saying they went on to hards. No, he went on to mediums. They went to mediums. Yeah, um, to mediums. Well, he no, he started. No, sorry, he started on mediums, then did softs, then did mediums again it. at the end. There we yeah, go. that was it. That was it. Sorry. Um, so yeah, so he his front wing. Um, uh, that was he caught his front wing on the on the back of the Force India, and you know what? Like he he dropped back a load, but actually, but he caught them up really, really, really quick. He caught he actually caught them up with a damaged front wing by <laughs> like the Ascari chicane because obviously yeah. the the they're all backing each other up still. Yeah, through um through the Lesmos. Just don't need aero, mate. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like that, well, that's how little wing they're running is that he managed to catch them that quick. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was it was hanging off so they had to bring in him yeah yeah they got like black and orange flag for yeah, sure yeah, if he's not sure. coming off his own volition um finished on the lead lap though by the end so i say it damaged his race but it wasn't that bad in the sense that he was on the lead lap so yeah he finished eighth yeah from the back An of the okay grid. recovery especially for a track that we weren't expecting the red bull to be able to no it's compete yeah it was what um, it was when he caught towards the end of the race he caught um I think he caught Perez, and he just couldn't get past Perez. Perez was way, Perez was too quick. Yeah, definitely. Lando had a similar problem with Perez, didn't he? He was, he was with Perez for a little while and couldn't seem to get past him. And it, I, I noticed he made comment of, it, like even Max couldn't get past him. <laughs> so it's not just me. <laughs> I noticed that in his first race interview. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, Renault continued their good form uh, early in the race and then throughout. Um, Hulkenberg had a nice fight with Seb for position very early on in the race. That was really satisfying to see for me personally. I was yeah. glad to see those Renaults dicing with the front runners. It was a really good move as well. I've got to be honest, as soon as I saw yeah. someone going around the outside of Vettel at that corner as well, instantly yeah. I was like, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> it's spin time. <laughs> well, <laughs> what do you say that? We've not quite got there yet. Hold, hold it, Chris, hold it. <laughs> Um, yeah, because before that, I do want to talk about uh, Albon's late, late move into the second chicane on Sainz, um, who then ultimately pushed him wide. But the initial move by Albon, I think, was a brilliant one. Oh, it was fantastic, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a great overtake followed by an abysmal defence, I would call yeah. that. There was no action taken for that, was there? There was no, no penalties no. or anything. No, I was surprised because I did think Science was a little bit OTT putting him out in the gravel, but he, he had an oversteer. He, he says he yeah. had an oversteer moment, a mid corner mm. twitch. Yeah, 
And it, yeah. it, on the replay, actually, it does look a little bit like he's had a bit of a twitch there. And, and judging by how hard he's knocked into him, like I don't think you'd mean to do that. No, uh, and he apologized. He did apologize. So yeah, after the race. and the the other thing is, is like Albon's already riding his luck, trying to take it round the outside. There's yeah. to keep the position. So there is that to consider as well. I, I did enjoy that Signs apologized, but then also immediately afterwards said, "Although I don't think anything wrong with it, I'll do it again." So <laughs> not, not much of an is that, apology. Is that an apology? Is that an apology? Um, I'm can, sorry, I, but I'd do it again. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you who did make a move stick at that exact same corner, and that was Magnussen. Um, I forget who he did it on, but um, on the onboards, if you go to formula1.com and look at the, um, I think it's the hypercut of all the race starts, early doors, Magnussen made a pretty uh, ballsy move around the outside of whoever he was overtaking, which was a really good one. <laughs> somebody. Someone. Literally somebody. somebody. We're going to have to do it, aren't we? We're going to have to talk about it now. There's... Yeah, we've got there. <laughs> we've we've led there? to that. Oh, we're there already, yeah. goodness. It, it, was, it was pretty early on. It was lap six that it happened, I believe. So it was pretty early on. Wow. Um, so <laughs> Vettel continues on his spinning traditions of Monzo. Um, but although this time he did it like completely on his own. Uh, at least last year he was in a fight, but this year he just decided to get up on the curb at Ascari, pirouette the car, and then roll it out in front of an advancing Lance Stroll. Pretty much wiping Stroll out, who then in turn did more or less the same thing to Pierre Gasly. Penalties all around. Uh, Vettel got a slightly harsher one, which is a 10-second stop go compared to Stroll's drive-through. But... I think some people are saying Vettel's very lucky to have not been black flagged for the way we entered the circuit. Yeah, I've seen that. I I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Um, it was, I mean, it was ludicrous. Don't get me wrong. It was a really, really silly thing to do. I mean, he claims that he couldn't see him coming or whatever. But Well, that's not an excuse. It's not. I'm sorry to cut in on you, but get on the radio and tell your team, ask your team if it's safe to go. They've all got, they've got all the GPS data. They know where every car is. They've got a, a map telling them where each each car is on track, live right there in front of them. That is, it's just far too dangerous when you're in that position and you can't see and you're that, you know, you're that far up the grid. He's only in what was he fourth at the time, third? Uh... No, second wasn't he when he spun. No, it'll have been. Oh no, it was further back because it was fourth because the two Mercs were still in front of him. I yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fourth. So I mean, you've got what sixteen cars? No, no, fifteen cars behind you. You, 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 sh- absolutely no way should you be moving, you know, moving forward on the track from that position. Well. Across it, <laughs> well, moving forward across the track. I mean, from moving yeah. from you know facing, he, he could have so easily been t-boned really, really badly. There, he's lucky that it's it's fairly clear and you can see it. And Stroll saw him because Stroll, like, I felt really, really bad for Stroll, and I, I don't think Stroll even deserved a penalty. I think he just got absolutely screwed over. Because it's not his know. fault he ended up where he was. He did, he did do something very similar. I think the reason Stroll's penalty was more lenient than Vettel's is because of the way Stroll got sort of punted around by Seb. He was sort of already half on the track anyway. He was fully and on the track, mate. He was, yeah, he was like, all the way on he the was, track. He was in a very different position to Seb. Yeah. Seb was off the track 
and had capability to sort of manoeuvre to a degree. Stroll was kind of stuck sideways on the track and kind yeah. of had to do something about it. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, he could have maybe done it in a better way, but he was put in a predicament that he was trying exactly. to deal with as safely as possible, yeah. which exactly. is why I think Stroll's penalty was nowhere near as harsh. Exactly. Uh, I think that's fair. The, the difference The difference here is, like you say, Vettel was off the track and he moved, and then if he moves onto the track, he is getting T-boned. So he is putting himself in a position where he could easily be hit into the side of. Yeah. Stroll is already in a position where he he's going to get T-boned eventually if he doesn't move. So... Yeah, he's he's sort of lesser of two evils is get out of the way and then at least you've tried to survive a horrible accident. If it occurs. yeah, it's, so, it's a tricky one. Um, yeah, I absolutely don't think he should have been a penalty. I think he did the right thing by moving. And you know, it, yeah, it was unlucky that Kvyat had uh, was it Kvyat or was it? Um, yeah, it was uh, Gasly. Gasly. It was Gasly. Gasly. It was yeah. unlucky that yeah. Gasly was in that particular part of track at that moment and had to avoid him. But even if he doesn't move is Gasly's still got to take avoiding action even if Stroll doesn't move yeah true yeah. Yeah. So, interestingly yeah. it was Stroll after the race who was the one person coming to Vettel's defense and saying he thought Vettel's penalty was harsh and he should have got the same penalty as him which was interesting mm. especially mm. after how much he was yelling about it on the radio during the race oh mate he was effing and jeffing like was a yeah, trooper he was livid yeah he um, was fuming as you would be uh, yeah you yeah, would quite be right. <laughs> yeah like it's is the danger of it more than anything? Like it's yeah. It was. I mean, is this not, like another Vettel? Like something goes wrong and like the red mist descends. Do we think? Like he clearly mm. wasn't thinking. It was definitely there was a he, bit of panic station. But for both drivers, there was absolutely yeah. panic stations. I think if anyone, yeah. red mist was pro- judging by the radio messages and hearing the radio in real time in relation to you know what was going on on track. I think Stroll was probably more red mist than Vettel. Um, Vettel, but that's understandable was, given the circumstances, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say Vettel blind panic, Stroll red mist. Myself. <laughs> so we, we're saying that the Stroll penalty could have been a little bit harsh from from what you were saying there, Stu. Which I, I can lean towards. What about the Seb one? Do we think that's the right penalty? Yeah, he got a ten second too harsh. Right? Ten second well, stop it, go. It, so it's, it's a, a thirty stop, second, second stop go. It, it's essentially the most severe penalty you can yeah. get without being disqualified. Yeah. So absolutely mm. correct decision. It should have been on the radio. When can I go? And given up on. Yeah. You're in such a dangerous position. You can't see. Is the, the the cars are coming in so quickly right in his blind spot. You do not move when you're in that position. That is so dangerous. He could have killed mm. someone. Do you know what it led me back to um, that I did notice is it did lead me back to last year, obviously, where he spun going side by side with Lewis through the second chicane. Mm -hmm. And I did notice something that sort of, it kind of gave me like flashbacks or whatever, but when he's got all that traffic coming at him last year, he did start driving the wrong way down the circuit towards them to make his spin. And I understand again that he's trying to get out of the way, but He's moving towards oncoming traffic, which to me is a bit of a no-no. And it is that moment of, I can't believe that this has just happened. I need to regain my position immediately. It's that it's that whole panic scenario, I think. Um, but it, it can be so, so dangerous. And I think that's the, that's the thing to take home here. Like He's disappointed in himself and all this, but at the end of the day, that, that could have been far more severe than it was. And I think that's why 
the penalty has to be as harsh as it is. Yeah, and as well as three um, points in his license, which is the most you can be given for a single instance as well. Yeah, and not yeah, only which... that, he is three points away from a ban now. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and none of them disappear until after Japan as well. So he's got a few races to survive. Two, ra- two or three races, yeah, yeah. yeah. R- R- uh, Singapore, Rory, Russia. Russia. Singapore, Russia, then Japan. Japan, I think. I think. Yeah, it sounds right. Ugh, I'm not looking forward to that shift. That's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I think we've I think we've covered that adequately. Um, I f- yeah, I think so. <laughs> we were on agreement that it was a very, very, very silly thing to do, and he deserved everything yeah. he got, basically. Yeah. Um, we'll move on to what unfolded next, which was pit strategy, bringing the the race for the lead to life. Um, Ferrari went with hards for Charlie. And Mercedes went on medium with Lewis uh, to actually try and undercut Ferrari. They they actually made the move first. Um, but then Bottas made his softs last a lot longer and eventually went to mediums as well. But what it essentially led to was like half to two-thirds of the race being a scenario of Charlie on tyres that will see it to the end and the Mercedes boys both on softer rubber that if they keep pushing will not make it to the end and desperate to get past him. And it led to a lot of interesting racing, which I'm sure is what Stu wants to talk about most right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, where, where do we begin? Where, some some story, Well, we might as well go through it like chronologically as best we can. So all in all, like Charlie's put in a staunch defence to keep, to keep the lead here, but... Um, the first sort of incident, let's say, would probably be um, the the squeeze. Let's call it, it push. <laughs> Lu- Lewis. <laughs> like so, that. so Char- Charlie makes a mistake in turn one and kind of gets away with it, but it means Lewis gets a really good run on him through the curve of Grande, leading to the second chicane and gets alongside him on the outside uh, with a really good slipstream and obviously having the better run out of the first chicane, at which point Charles starts to move over to the the racing line itself, but Lewis is alongside him at this point. Um, It sees Lewis forced to half and half across the the grass uh, and then essentially back out of the move and take through the runoff of the chicane. the most that came out of it was Charles Leclerc received the black and white flag, which is essentially a warning to say that can't happen again or it will be a penalty. It's like a very stern warning, I guess. It's kind but of a yellow it, card almost, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a do that again and there will be a penalty. However, on this occasion, which is new, we will for, overlook well, it. Black and white flags aren't new, but... In Formula One, a black and white flag's quite a rare occurrence. I've noticed them used in the last three races, I think, now. Really? Uh, yeah. There was definitely one during Spa. I can't was, remember yeah. what it was for. Got it. Somebody maybe was cutting corners too much or something like that. I can't remember exactly the scenario. But somebody got a black and white flag during Spa. And another race recently, I've seen it as well. And I think... This is where the conversation will turn, I guess. But I think that this is the stewards overall over the last few races attempting to have more of a leniency, which, in fairness to them, was demanded after the penalty that Seb received in Canada. 
Um, mm. Everyone was in uproar saying, we want hard racing, stop being so harsh on drivers. And then interestingly, in what was, I wouldn't say a similar move, but there, I guess there are similarities. The difference mm. being the way that Charles wasn't losing control of the car, I guess is the main difference here. But it, it strikes me as stewards trying to be more lenient at the request of everyone that's complained about penalties early in the season. Um, mm. And that that's how it is to me. And to be right. fair, I was kind of glad of it because it kept the race going. I wasn't, I wasn't disgruntled or anything by the black and white flag personally. Okay. So it's um, um just just before we get going, it's it's basically Michael Massey, the guy who's taken over from Charlie Whiting as race director. It's kind of him who's decided it should be brought back into kind of because it's it's always officially been a flag in F one. It's just not been used as it was yeah. for a good many years. Yeah, uh, it, it was Gasly that got it in um Spa, but for Gasly, it was basically he cut the apex at Radion three times, and that was kind of a if you cut that corner again, we'll give you a penalty kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so this is the first time since it's, he's kind of decided to bring it back. And he's, he specifically used kind of the yellow card analogy for it. Like this is the first time it's been for a kind of driving standards kind of way. Mm-hmm. Mm. So first thing about the black and white flag is if you ever go go-karting, um, everyone on track will get a black and white flag at some point if you just <laughs> go to a, a ride and drive because people, normal people, don't know how to use a cart track so they'll go they'll be bumping each other they'll be cutting corners they'll be riding curbs they're the kind of things that you get a black and white flag from at a cart track so in motor racing it is and and you know it runs from karting all the way up through motor racing and now obviously to formula one it's not an unnormal thing at low levels to get a black and white flag it's quite unnormal to get a black and white flag in formula one because these are absolutely the pinnacle it's the pinnacle of motorsport. They're the best drivers in the world. They should not ever be getting black and white flags ever. And that's why, in theory, you, you wouldn't have seen it up until this point where they've decided to bring it in for, I guess, like, well, I mean, the, for the reasons that they've said that they brought it in, that's why they brought it in. Well, he, um, he's calling it a bad sportsmanship flag, specifically. Mm. Or the unsportsmanlike driving flag. Which is what flag. it is, though, isn't it? That is what it is, because yeah. it's to do with um, like overly aggressive defence or driving, and it's to do with things like corner cutting and essentially like trying to not cheat. Cheat's the wrong word, I guess, but like, then again, corner cutting probably is considered cheating. But it's <laughs> trying to gain an advantage yeah. like by pushing the rules as far as possible, essentially. Would you say punting someone off the track is considered cheating? He didn't point him off the track, though. <laughs> I'm, not, so... I'm, saying he did. I'm not saying he did. <laughs> would, you, would you say that that is cheating? The, the, I think this this all comes down, for me, to the fact that little to no contact was actually made between the two of them because mm. Lewis... <laughs> Lewis has had the time and the awareness to react. I think if there was more contact made and the outcome was more severe, then we wouldn't have seen the black and white flag and we would have probably seen a penalty. Um, yeah. I think that if there had been a penalty, they'd probably be more upset about there being a penalty in the same way there was a penalty against Seb. Like The, the upset of the penalty 
was out outweighed the upset of um, those that didn't agree with the move. Do you know what I mean? I think that if there had been a penalty, they would have been more upset about that than there has been about the move yeah. itself. And I think that's yeah. kind of why I'm on that other side because it kept the race alive for me and it didn't particularly... It didn't stop that battle. You know, it didn't end yeah. the battle, didn't end anyone's race. Lewis still continued to attack, and, and as I'm sure we'll get to, but that's the reason that I I wouldn't say it's the wrong decision. Okay, so the, the thing for me about this, it's not necessarily isolated to this specific incident, my, my argument with the black and white flag. Um, I think speaking, just to speak specifically about this incident, first of all, I think if that happens in Canada, then... You know, if that happens three or four races ago before this thing come in, then yes, absolutely, that's a penalty. It would have been a penalty. There's well, no it was because Seb Seb got one for exactly something very fairly that's similar. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So, but everyone it, was, everyone was saying it shouldn't have been. Is is my well, not everyone like ha, no? All, all Sebastian Vettel's fans were saying it shouldn't have been, and all Lewis Hamilton's fans were happy <laughs> that it was. Like half the field, half it was. I thought that that whole thing was very fifty fifty. I thought. Um, the the rule in Formula One when you go racing is you leave a car's width for if if the person's alongside you, which Hamilton was absolutely well alongside him. There's you know Leclerc would have been able to see Hamilton's the nose of Hamilton's car alongside of him without doubt. You leave space. You know you're racing. You leave space for the car. That's racing. That's you have to do that. You can't just be running them off the road, which is what he did. Um, which brings me on to like my wider problem with the with the black and white flag. He knows he knew in advance before this race started that he'd get one of those. He'd get he gets a chance to fight to go over the limit to fight too hard once and get a yellow card for it. And he he will he's got carte blanche to get away with one punt without within reason without getting a penalty. And you can't race someone who's got that. You can't race well, someone who's got carte blanche to punt you off the track. While, while I agree that that is a potential issue with the black and white flag, in this case, Lewis said after the race that he uh, drove to one side when he saw he was running out of space and took the escape road because... He's on the way to a world championship. There is no point in him taking that sort of risk. Second is fine. He's still going to lead the world championship. If he had not been in the championship battle, he'd have left his car exactly where it was and there would have been a collision. If there had been a collision, and Michael Massey said pretty much this, if they had collided, Leclerc would probably have got a penalty for it. So I don't think it's strictly true to say it's like a free pass to do whatever you want. You almost need the other driver to be compliant for you to be able to get that black and white flag. Like mm. what Leclerc did, if Hamilton hadn't been compliant, would have led to contact and Leclerc would have got a penalty. Right. And that's where this gets very tricky, I guess. Like in a in a microcosm with no without this example, without other examples, the idea of having this kind of warning flag rather than going straight to a penalty. I think is a really, really good idea. The problem, though, is once you start bringing in different examples of it, and a lot of people have brought up um, 
when Verstappen ran, I think it was Bottas off the road at Turn One in Monza. Was it last year or the year before? Um, and Verstappen, yeah. Verstappen got a penalty for that. And I would argue what Verstappen did was a bit nastier than this, or certainly a bit more aggressive than this. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very much sitting on the fence with this, as I'm sure you can tell. Classic, Chris. Classic. Chris. <laughs> Who'd have thought Chris would be sat on the fence? I've never seen that happen before. In a flip side to sort of a, not a similar incident, I guess, but not too dissimilar. Max didn't have a penalty in Austria for his staunch defence against Charles. So it's like, in a way, this this comes back to the not the consistency argument, but the Charles then gets this idea in his head that, well, Max got away with what I consider very aggressive blocking, so I'm going to chance my luck with something similar here. Like yeah. that, do you know what I mean? That that's an idea that it comes back to when you were saying um, drivers knowing they've got this black and white flag scenario makes them a little more willing to Race. make that risk. I think yeah. that a, a driver like Charles having that happen to him and see no repercussions means that he's kind of got one in his head of maybe I can get away with a bit of a overly strong defense like that at some point. And I guess and, that's. That's the problem with it as well, isn't it? If if the black and white flag thing had been around in Austria, if Verstappen had... Verstappen would have got one. But so what? You you get a black and white flag and you get the lead of the race. So what? Like, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure the black and white flag would have been no consolation to the clerk who just had the lead taken no, off him but... aggressively. Like, that's, what, that's where this gets tricky, isn't it? This is yeah, exactly it. Well, this is, it's exactly this is... the same situation. Like, it's, the black and white flag's no consolation for Hamilton, who had that corner, or who, who could have easily had that corner, had, had Leclerc not run him out of road. Well, it's yeah. racing. <laughs> this is the same as a Verstappen incident. Well, no, it's not racing. It's racing. It's not, that's not racing. When you push someone off the road, that's not racing. That isn't racing. That's I don't want to use the word cheating, but running someone out of road, it ain't racing. It's it, it's I don't know. It's it's very borderline. It's like he he didn't leave him a car with cars width, and that's what it says in the rules. But then that's. I've seen we've seen penalties given for forcing a car off the track, but but is that what we want? Is the problem? Do we want the first time someone defends a move and it's a little bit over the line? Penalty, race over. We've, like imagine no, the no, disappointment if that race want... had been ended with a penalty for that incident. No, what what we but, want is for car is for is for drivers to know that if I do force this car off the track, then I will be given a penalty. Therefore, I won't do it in the first. But place. how can we sit here and earlier say that the Science album thing was all right, and then this isn't because well, that was an not accident. that dissimilar. It wasn't, in, it wasn't intentionally running him out of road. He had an oversteer mm. moment, so he well, he Charles was on the racing line. Like, well, Lewis look, was choosing to go around the outside of the no, racing Lewis, line. Lewis was the on the position. Lewis was on the racing line. Lewis was on the outside into that. Well, corner. and Leclerc said after the race that he thought at the time he had given him a car's width. So. Does that he count as an accident? He would, he well, would he would say, say that. that. <laughs> yeah, of course he would. <laughs> and actually, much much like Sainz's kind of apology, not apology, Hamilton was livid on the radio at the time and after the race was like, eh, it's racing, it's fine. Yeah. It's, I guess, here at the because moment and all that. I think, I think the thing with that, though, is that Lewis has been fairly humble about the whole thing of, over the course of the 
the Sunday evening, I think. And part of that is because he knows a there's a bigger picture, yeah. Um, and B, he also knows that there will come a time where he's on the reverse end of something like yeah, that, yeah. And he is basically just being fairly chill about it because, in honesty, if he is, then there's maybe it comes back to this whole. Charles maybe thought he could get away with something a little strong because of what happened to him. Mm. And Lewis is maybe banking the same thing. Like, well, if I'm chill about this, then there's there's a scenario that might swing my way sometime in the future if I just leave this alone. Mm. It's all all mind games. It's all mind games. You're you're absolutely right. It all all sort of shakes out even in the end, doesn't it, I guess? Mm. Um, Which is, for me, which is more reason why I don't think we really need the black and white flag. I think you know, like it, what what goes around. Cam is a bitch. <laughs> what goes around <laughs> comes around. So, I think it's an added complication to an already very complicated and grey area mm. in motorsport. Yeah, I think I sort of kind of land the same, but opposite to you, Stu. I do think on paper, bringing in the black white flag to help police these sort of things without penalties is a good idea, but. At this point, they've just said, oh, we've got a flag here we're not using. Let's start using it again. Yeah. Without mm. really thinking through exactly the ramifications of that and exactly how it's going to be used. And I think it needs some smarter people than us to sit down and work out exactly what that flag means and exactly when it needs waving at people. What what I think will tell the tale of this over the, the longer term, if it continues to be a thing, is... What that said to me at the time was it it was basically a way of saying we're letting this go because of the scenario, however, it will like we won't stand for it and, and another occasion through the rest of the race. Like that this is this is the warning kind of thing. Someone like I don't know, I I, I hate to point a finger at him because it's not necessarily always the case, but someone like a Magnuson is quite aggressive in defense and attack and, and and he's known for it and you see battles with him sometimes going for two or three laps in that exact kind of scenario like very wheel-to-wheel yeah, yeah, combat yeah. if they then pull out a black and white flag for something like that and say kevin rein it in or it will be a penalty and that helps police that it's like He's basically saying, look, we've got our eye on this. We're not doing anything about it this very moment because of the nature of it. However, we are watching it. And it's a it's a severe one. Like, if you just got away with it, then you there's that idea of, I can just do it again and again until I don't get away with it. Whereas at least if you've had that warning, the the idea's been put in your mind that oh, I've been watched for that now. I need to I need to be careful or, or just let it go kind of thing. Mm. Well, the yeah. weird thing is they've kind of already been doing that in a way for a while anyway exactly. like yeah magnuson is a prime example like here is it i want to say it was russia last year where he did some really nasty chopping in defense and that was an example of where after that someone from the fia got on the radio to Hass and said he needs to stop doing that if he does it again he will get a penalty mm. and it's almost like now they've just decided that they're going to attach a flag to the radio messages they're already sending to teams yeah I, I think maybe the the flag is possibly a way of communicating to the viewership that something is. is being done about it and it's not just being totally ignored because i can understand why a lot of people in those scenarios might think that it's just not being because if it doesn't get investigated and you don't hear a radio message 
which you don't always, you could be forgiven for thinking that they're not even bothered. Whereas at least if there's an effort of this has been like a warning has been issued for this, yeah. it's a lot more obvious to the spectators that it's been looked at, it's been deemed it's been deemed not acceptable, but like within limits. And if it happens again, something more severe will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, maybe it's just trying to provide better communication back to spectators. Maybe. I, I, look, I think I'm, I'm not going to change my mind. I think the, ironically, the black and white flag is adding many, many more shades of gray to <laughs> an, or, an already very complex decision-making process. So I am, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm against it. I'm not a big fan. Ironically, the last person to get a black and white flag prior to this season was Lewis Hamilton in <laughs> 2010. Remember in Malaysia when he was weaving his way down the straight to break the yeah. slipstream? Yeah. He remember. got one for that, and that's the last time one actually got used. There you go. I feel like this black and white flag thing is going to get way more controversial before it settles down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's this is black and we white should... flag saga episode one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There'll Definitely. be much more time to talk about black and white flags on this podcast. Oh, I'm sure, for <laughs> sure. Um, uh, just quickly before we move on from that as well, we had an inbox message from Dakota Batella, uh, which was saying, uh, "What do you think about the black and white flag shown to Leclerc? Should one have been shown to Verstappen in Austria when Max?" Uh, for Charles oh, off the track in a similar way, which is, I guess, coming back to the point that I've already kind of half touched yeah, on. Yeah. Um, and like I say, I think if they were enforcing it at the time and doing a similar thing, he probably would have got one. But they weren't doing it in the same way at the same time, were they? So, so hang on a second. So now, like, do, is it will it always be the case that there's a black and white flag before a penalty is given, or I, can they just I give a straight have, red? Can they just give a, a, a oh no, they can yeah. penalty? Yeah, the, the the analogy that's been used, I think, is probably a decent one, which is, you know, like two bookable offences is a red. Like hmm. it, it works the same as football yeah. or soccer, essentially, or, or rugby. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? But I, it kind of makes sense to use it in that fashion. It's not always going to be that happens before a penalty, but it gives them a little bit of grounds to give somebody leeway, I guess. Yeah, Michael okay. Massey basically said if Leclerc had like moved further over and made contact or caused damage to Hamilton or caused yeah. damage to crash or whatever, that would have been a straight penalty. So, Which kind of makes sense. Yeah, you'd hope so. so yeah. Um, moving on to what was left of the race after that... Um, Charles did make a mistake into turn one, but managed to get away with it. Um, he sort of locked up through turn one, which meant he had to use the runoff in turn two. He did get Lewis to run it in, but Lewis could never, ne- Lewis never really seemed to be able to make anything out of it. Like the Ferrari top line speed was just always a little bit too much, even when yeah. Lewis did get in DRS. Because I've, I've seen some people arguing that should um, Charles have got a penalty for that because he cut the corner and well he cut the corner but it's not like Hamilton was alongside him and he cut the corner to gain the position if anything by having to cut the corner he put Hamilton in a position to have a go at overtaking him so yeah exactly he lost out by cutting the corner yeah, completely, if, so. if, if he'd have gained something fine look at it but at the end of the day he lost a, a one second gap down to like yeah. a tenth or whatever it was so he lost out by having to to make that avoiding manoeuvre if you want to call it that to go across the Sleeping police. Yeah, completely. Um, 
Um, Lewis then had a very similar mistake, uh, but ended up losing second to Bottas as a consequence because his happened a little bit earlier in turn one, forcing him through the uh, polystyrene slalom, which saw much, much action. <laughs> Probably got used as much as the rest of the track, to be honest. This <laughs> Over the weekend, weekend definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, on that, dare we say this was a pretty average race for Hamilton? Um. Like, I think no. maybe maybe after this first incident that we've all we've been talking about for so long, maybe at that point his not head went down a little bit, but it was just uh, I'm I'm not willing to fight that hard for the extra point. I'm I'm just going to try and bring it home now. Maybe Truth. that was you know you know I said after the race like he made an educated decision to say it's not worth losing all the points for. I'd rather come home behind him than not at all. That's true. I think maybe it's that. Um, true, but well, if you're thinking that and bringing it home, don't lock up into turn one and let your teammate true. overtake you. Okay, okay, okay. So look at it this way. he The reason he's locked up into turn one is because his tyres are shot by this mm-hmm. point. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's been yeah, pushing he, so hard, chasing Leclerc down, that he's... he's, he's is it's just tires have given up on him so he probably yeah. breaks in exactly the same position that he'd been breaking every lap but those tires have just had enough um he's got his teammate behind him who if he does have an accident with Leclerc he's going to lose what 18 points to and yeah. there's a chance that it there's a at this point um Bottas has got a chance of winning this race Still. Yeah, he's on much, much. He's on five lap, I think, fresher tires than at least five lap fresher tires than Leclerc. So as far as Lewis is aware, he if he gets into a too big a fight with Leclerc and ends up not finishing the race, then he's lost twenty five potentially twenty five points, at least eighteen points to his nearest championship rival. Yep. So it's logical for him to to sort of back off, and even it's even logical to to let. Um, Bottas through and take you know take the fifteen points because it's the lesser of of the two evils you know risk don't mm-hmm. finish it risk not finishing the race or limit the damage from your shot tires that are much older than your nearest rivals and and just take the points yeah yeah if anything he almost saved Mercedes a difficult decision by yeah. locking up yeah. there because. Bottas was bearing down on him at that point, yeah. and I think Mercedes were probably deciding whether they needed a, a Lewis Sitz James message. Yeah. Huh. What they what they could have done at that point when when Hamilton's tires when it became clear that Hamilton's tires were about to go, one option might have been to bring Hamilton in and put him on the softs, and mm. then he could have chased both Bottas and Leclerc down, and by the end of the race, been on fresher softer rubber which yeah i don't know if it would it would have been a real it would have been a drive similar to what he did in um in hungary which was not an easy drive for him they they left it a little bit too late didn't they They did eventually change him to to try and get the point fastest lap but it was too late by that yeah it was like 49 i bought him in again was already chasing him and and have basically meeting the same fate as Lewis, yeah. like getting into managing to get in that DRS range, but then just not quite having enough to make the move stick into turn one. Um, yeah, they should have done it right after Hamilton was forced off the track. Yeah. I think if they were going to do it, yeah. that was the time to do it. Um, and they yeah. had like probably a two lap window just after that where they could have maybe made it work. It would have been such a long shot though that yeah. you know, the question is, is it worth the risk of bringing the car in, risking a pit stop? Yeah. 
potentially costing yourself again 25 points for your, to your nearest rivals. So all in all, then, I think the for Hamilton, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't call it a um, average drive for him. I think he just had a slower car. Was the other thing. Yeah, it, I guess it's just every time you see Hamilton make a mistake, you kind of sit up and take notice because it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, that's it. Mm. it it's a it's a rarer occurrence compared to most, so you you do notice it more, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all in all, it led to a a Charlie win, so that's two back to back now for him. Um, sees him overtake his teammate Seb in the driver standings yeah. as well, and seriously closed down Max actually because Max in a way was lucky to get the points that he did from a championship position because had Max struggled and and scored little to no points Charles could have overtaken him as well Um, he's only three points behind Max now so Charles is fourth in the standings Max third Um, so that race for sort of third and maybe even second is, is definitely heating up now isn't it? Really is yeah, um, I've got a fun Ferrari fact for you. Go. Um, yes. Ferrari have led all 10 of the last 10 Formula One sessions. There you go. So that's three. So from, from practice one in Belgium to race win in Italy, yeah. they've been at Pretty the front good. Of every race. That's a Where's that been all season? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think that that's going to carry on. And not just yeah. top speed. <laughs> yeah. I can't see that carrying on in Singapore somehow. No. 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 Prove um, us wrong, Ferrari. Yeah, yeah please do. Definitely. Um, in, in, in a strong finish, just of note, we've kind of touched upon them already a few times, but um, the Renaults solidified that uh, kind of third place finish by, well, third place constructor by coming home fourth and fifth behind this battle. So a very solid weekend for them overall. That's 22 points for them in a weekend where McLaren picked up a single point with Norris. So that definitely helps Renault close that gap down. Yeah, we're going to keep chipping away at that one. Yeah, it's um, impressive, that impressive drive for them. Yeah. yeah. Help that McLaren had a bit of a shocker as well, but... Yeah. Then again, McLaren but, never uh, really looked like catching them, did they? No, Renault were always ahead of McLaren this weekend, I think. Yeah. I'll tell you how you don't catch them by not putting the front right wheel on your driver's yeah. car. Yeah, come on, McLaren. I don't know, Where? Chris, that helped you, as we'll discover later. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> helped you out. Um, okay, driver of the day, gentlemen. Um, there's. I want to give Perez an honourable mention here because he came from 18th, I believe it was, on the grid to finish 7th. Um, and held off some pretty strong drivers in pretty strong cars to to solidify that seventh. Um, Verstappen. So, no, no. Yeah, no, Verstappen, Verstappen being one of them. Um, so that's, I don't know, that that's a, a solid drive for me from Perez, which yeah. he, he seems to have been lacking in those. He's always been known for them, but it seems to have been lacking them of, of the recent times. So it's nice to see him have a good drive through the field to score some solid points and... You know, keep himself ahead of some pretty fierce opposition. Yeah, I think mine is probably Ricardo. Yeah, that that's what I voted for live during the race. Yeah, so it is it is that for me. Um, the the official one was Leclerc. Yeah, I, I can see why. Obviously, I know it's going to be tainted for you, Stu, because you're not happy about <laughs> about is his this, driving well, standards against even, you Lewis. Know what, but... I'm, like, uh, no, I don't get don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I appreciate. 
my issue isn't necessarily with uh, just to bring it back really quickly my issue is not with necessarily with his driving my issue is with the implementation of of the rules mm. yeah i think i'm oh. happy to see them racing wheel to wheel and going for it what i'm not happy about is is them being given uh like what i said like being given carte blanche to break the rules mm. although i do think as i've said in the past i defending does seem to be a weak point in Leclerc's um, Arsenal still. I think yeah. if, if, if he, if you were to pinpoint one weak point in his driving at the moment, I think that it's, is it. it's defending and it's soaking. I mean, yes, he soaked up a lot of pressure to win this race, but he also made a few mistakes on the way to it. And I think that's yeah. definitely an area he this, needs to improve. Yeah. This is why Ricardo got my vote because Charles made mistakes Lewis made mistakes. Valtteri made mistakes. Verstappen drove through the field but made mistakes to put himself in an awkward position at the start of the race. Like, Ricardo was sort of the highest uh, position person who had a solid drive, which is why I gave him the vote. Like, he was solid start to finish in that race, Um, whereas everyone ahead of him was making mistakes and so on. And if that Renault had, like, been on par with the Ferrari and the Mercedes, he'd have won easily because he was solid all weekend yeah but the the Renault is just not at that stage um yeah and that's why he got it for me because he was the only one I didn't see making mistakes so yeah and I think especially given that he he was essentially racing his teammate for that position and he finished quite a way up the road wasn't it it was like 14 seconds up the road despite starting behind him and being on exactly the same uh, tire strategy and he passed yeah. him on track to take it as well so I can go along with Ricardo I think that's a good choice yeah, yeah. cool cool. That, that, that was easier than I thought it was going to be move of the day um, I put down Albon on science we already talked about it earlier that initial move into the second chicane was a solid one um, I also wanted to sort of like give a little bit of a shout to the the Ferrari strategy of putting Leclerc on the hard tire and I know that it it nearly didn't work in the respect that they came up they had to soak up a lot of pressure from both Mercedes drivers but ultimately they knew they made the right call in my opinion because they knew the medium tire was going to force them into another stop they knew that if they could force the Mercedes drivers into chasing them on mediums they would potentially run the Mercedes into trouble and force them to have to stop again. And I think it was a it was bold. And I, I almost was like, it was almost a WTF at the time that they did it. Mm-hmm. I was like, why have they put him on the hard? And then I started thinking about all the, the slower times that they had in practice on the medium and thinking this might actually be the perfect call for them. And I think that it was an example of Ferrari maybe getting it right for once instead <laughs> of... Usually, then again, they only had one card to think about, didn't they? So we always say if they've only got yeah, one card to think true. about, they can manage. <laughs> so. I do wonder, actually, if, as we sort of said earlier, um, Mercedes had bought Hamilton in for a second stop just after he had to cut the chicane, whether that would have spooked Ferrari into stopping Leclerc mm, again or whether they would have maybe. stuck to their guns. I'd be interested to see how that played out. But yeah. you're right, they did, they did it right. They pick the right tire at the right time and that's half the battle isn't it definitely that is the battle that yeah, is it really more is. than half it is beyond <laughs> the rule number one 
Uh, it's on the be first on the right page tire. of the rule book. Yeah. <laughs> the strategy of Formula One. Be on the right tyre at the right time, all the time. Um, move of the day. So you guys are saying Ferrari strategy for move of the day. Not I, I said all that. that. I, think I was I'm just saying, saying it was album. worth a mention. I, I'd say the album move on Science into the Chicane, even if it ultimately didn't pan out the actual initial move itself was yeah well all he needed to do all he needed to do on the exit of the chicane was move over to the right and he would have held that position (laughs) yeah because he would have had to if he moved into a defensive position over on the right of the track or put himself in the middle of the track then science is not getting by so uh, if he'd if he'd been able to finish that move then he'd have my vote but my vote my vote goes to my vote goes to it's um it's actually Grosjean. I, I made a mistake earlier. Well, I said Magnussen at the start of this. It wasn't Magnussen. It was Grosjean. Grosjean on the first lap going around Norris. Um, it was into the first Lesmo. Okay. Yeah. Right. I need to Lesmo. watch this. And, I, will, I will go um, find this. <laughs> and he he hung it around the outside and cadence braked him into into the corner and yeah he, he got the position it was around the outside of um of the first lesmo where you know where science sent uh, sent um albon off the track this was how you get by someone you know in that corner and it's pretty like balls to the wall kind of he must have winced when he went around the corner but <laughs> yeah i think i think that gets my vote on this occasion I, the if I could give, if I could split my vote, I would give the first half of my vote to <laughs> the first half of Albon's overtake, and I would give yeah, the second yeah. part of my vote to the second part of Grosjean's overtake on um, on Norris <laughs> in Ooh. the first Lesmo. What about Hulkenberg around the outside of Vettel on the first lap? That that was fairly yeah. good. That was, that was, through, was, that? was that through the second chicane. It was the second chicane under yeah. breaking into the second chicane. He went round the outside of him. Um, Ooh. a bit. It was basically identical to last year when Lewis uh, was alongside him in a very similar scenario. And like Chris touched on earlier, last year Vettel went the other way, <laughs> um, and luckily he didn't this time. I have just seen Grosjean's move, so I can understand why you want. That. Yeah, me too. I've just seen it, and yeah, you're right. I've just got it. So. I'm actually just watching um, Hulkenberg around the outside of Vettel myself, <laughs> and that's an absolute <laughs> monster overtake as well. Let's um, just say anyone that went around the outside of anyone <laughs> and yeah. made it stick. <laughs> go, go to the F1 website and look at the ultimate hypercut from the yeah. start of the Italian Grand Prix and you'll see all that we're talking about. It's a it's a really good cut. It's a frenetic start yeah, to the race. It really is. Considering that it's the first five corners and that's it, there's yeah. quite a lot of action there that's yeah. well worth watching. So. Of all of those, I think I'm leaning towards Hulkenberg on reflection. <laughs> Yeah, probably okay. as well. And you can it's, it's, so. it's further it's it's clean move, it's further up the order, it's it's much more there's a lot more riding on it. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot more wheel to wheel and a lot more just aggressive and it means so much more. So yeah, I think Hulkenberg. Yeah. Fair. Cool. I'll, I'll I'll happily go with that. Deal. Honestly, what the f are we doing here? Is that for <laughs> us or is that for <laughs> It's partly for us. <laughs> oh, oh no, that is very much for Seb. <laughs> you said it yourself. He's, he's claimed his own soundbite again, hasn't he? I yeah. think he has. Like the, the Q3 antics were ridiculous, but 
the th- the thing that literally made me recoil in horror was watching Seb pull back onto that track with traffic coming at him. Like I was worried for a second because it was just it was the danger of it, man. It like it frightened yeah. me for a minute. It frightened me for a minute, and that's it. Genuinely, was a WTF as he was doing it. Yeah, so totally. I think I think it's that for me. Um, the Q three yeah. was silly, but a little bit comical and. We kind of the like nothing that bad came out of it because everyone just pretty much stayed where they were because nobody got to do an extra lap. Um, farce, but yeah, WTF for me is Seb wiping out Stroll. Yeah, I I can think of a few this weekend across across the entire weekend. Never mind, um, just in Formula One. <laughs> but um, I think yeah, the Seb spin and doing what he did to come back onto the track as to take the cake. That's um I don't think you're gonna get much much debate on that one this this episode. There's one more thing I did want to mention. I don't even know if you guys noticed this, but at the very start of the race, on the kind of gantries across the race across the grid, sorry, further back that the lights aren't on, as the race started, there were like flamethrowers and like sparks yeah. and stuff coming up. And I honestly, I missed the first three or four seconds of the race because I was going the heck is going on back there? Is something caught fire? It's like Mad Max, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so weird. I don't know where that came from. And so I think that's, that's an honourable mention. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's Seb's award, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's Seb. Seb all the way. Uh, so with that, do you want to take us through prediction results, Chris? I would love to take us through some prediction results. <laughs> um, so this week, uh, lots of people got... Um, Leclerc as uh, fast in Q3 and as winner. Um, in fact, we had 118 people scoring at least one point this wow. week, which Insane. must be a record. I'd have to it check, has to be. It's quite I wonder possible. how many points were scored altogether. We'll have to figure that one out for next We'll week. do some maths on that. Thanks yeah. for thanks giving me more database work to do, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, do it, though, for you. <laughs> but yes, all of us got the Leclerc double. Um, I also got Sainz's first DNF. Um, me and you, Stu, got 17 finishers, uh, and none of us got, in fact, none of us even got close to Hulkenberg in fifth. We had 12th, 11th, and 20th between <laughs> us. Um, to be fair, did anyone, including Renault, see that fifth place coming? <laughs> well, the literally no one of all the people who take part in our predictions league, no one said fifth place. The closest we had were, um, it was Kyle Glover and Debs Monday, both said seventh. Seventh was the most faith anyone had in Hulkenberg. Wow. Um, so I got half a point each. You did get half a point, yeah. Uh, so the top scorers this week are Brendan Harris and me with four out of five, which is <laughs> well definitely done. a new record for me. Um, on the overall leaderboard, uh, Timothy George is still top on 24 and a half points, uh, but Max Kutant has jumped into second place from like fourth or fifth, I think he was before, wow. uh, on 22 and a half, and Katie O'Brien's dropped down to third, half a point behind. Um, wow. As for us, I have leapt into 37th place <laughs> on 15 points. Uh, Stu is 49th on 14 points, and Tom is 63rd on 13. So there's still only three points covering all three of us so yeah still you've done well you do yourself down and you're actually in the lead of the hosts out of nowhere i've had a shocking start to the season but i have in the last few weeks i have really dragged it back but you've basically done a reno for this 
I have. Ironically, it was a Renault that stopped me getting five out of five, though. If only Hulkenberg could have been his usual average self. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, that is predictions. If you want to see where you came, uh, the full uh, list of results is on the website, backofthegrid.com, um, as well as the overall leaderboard. Uh, and just to quickly mention, to do with predictions, um, I mentioned I'd dig out that we were asked the Ferrari question about how we thought Charles oh, would yeah. do against Seb, and we all made a little bit of a prediction. And I said I'd find them, and so I actually managed to find them from the episode. Um, so, Chris, you said Leclerc would lead early, but be beaten overall by Seb. It's looking less likely by the day, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, considering he's, not, he's only, he's only just led, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, Stu, yours is Leclerc will beat Vettel overall, which is looking good so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But long, long um, season, though, long, a lot of time left. Well, we're, we're two thirds in now, aren't we? We've got a third remaining. So, yeah. Could still all change. And then mine was Leclerc will win a race before Vettel, which, yay. Yay. <laughs> I remember thinking you were mad for saying that as well. Yeah. I was almost so so right so quickly as well with things like Bahrain, yeah. and I, I was like, when yeah. that happened, I was like, oh, this is going to go horribly wrong for me. But <laughs> luckily, I'm I'm all right. So yeah, that's those for those who were interested. Um, and then I guess we could do some inbox box box to see us out. Yeah, let's rattle through some inbox. Um, I'll start. We've got one from from Julian Hajar. Which says, do you think Ferrari are more interested in winning Monza than they are in winning the championship since their car seems <laughs> to be compromised for most circuits with the low downforce for speed, but optimal for Monza? My answer to that is, nah, they've just got the best engine. I mean, I, I do think mm. Ferrari probably put more effort into winning Monza than yeah. any other team puts into winning any other race. But that being said, they would give up a win at Monza for a championship. Yeah. Any day, day of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that, Chris, completely. Um, Brooke Archer says, uh, what a race for Renault. Glad to see those boys fighting in the top 10 um, and not have a car explode. Um, <laughs> can Charlie make it three out of three and win the next race too? Who would you say is the best driver on the grid right now, both personality and skills-wise? Can Charlie make it three out of three? Oh, wow. Probably not. I don't think Singapore is going to be a circuit for them, is it? I don't think so at all. I think Ferrari are probably going to struggle there. Yeah, I think we're probably going to see a resurgent Lewis or maybe even someone like Max. Yeah, you know, the Red Bulls tend to go well there, don't they? It's, it's a difficult race physically as well. So, mm. yeah, it'd be interesting. But I, I think it's more likely Red Bull and Mercedes territory at Singapore, unfortunately, for that stat. Yeah, I think you've nailed that part of that question. Um, mm hmm. The personality and skill wise, are we going sort of do the two as a combine as a combination or separate? either or? I guess like per- personality wise, I'd say probably Danny Rick. Danny well, Rick well Danny Rick or Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The most fun drivers. I'd say if we're allowed wise. to combine Lando and Signs as one entity, they probably <laughs> just about overtake Danny Rick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then skill wise, who's the most skillful driver? Um, it's difficult. It's boring, but it's probably Lewis or Max, isn't it? Well, I was going to say, until the last couple of races with a couple of odd mistakes, I would have said Max. But as in on current form, like, but the last couple of races have kind of put a bit of a dint in that for me. Mm. So 
Well, you know, it's obvious. It's, come on, it's it's such a non-question. It's obvious, isn't it? Lewis Hamilton's got six world championships. <laughs> or he will. It's hard to look past that. Yeah, he will. He's, he's, got he six yet. he's got five. He's got five. But he, five he's, he's and well, nine tenths. Yeah, he's well on his way to six world championships. He he makes one mistake, and everyone's like, "Oh my goodness, he's he's what? He's made a mistake." <laughs> he's human. That tells you everything you need to know about Lewis Hamilton. He is, yeah, you're probably right. I wouldn't say by as big a margin as maybe he might have been in the past, but potentially, I think there's there's fresher faces that are closer to him than yeah. we have seen mm-hmm. in the past. But he is, for me, absolutely still the most skilled driver on that grid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's got Max. He's got Max and Charles hunting him down and, and refining their craft. I think, and yeah, so he's, he's definitely got a challenge coming. For sure. Absolutely. I think that I think number seven will be much more difficult to achieve than number six. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, next, Austin Kavanagh says, do you think with the Q3 shenanigans that went on this weekend that the FIA will make changes to Q3 from next year to avoid scenes like this in the future? Perhaps something along the lines of a one or two lap shootout style qualifying with one car on track at a time? Well, just, just to quickly touch on this, I didn't mention it earlier, but I'm pretty sure I heard that there's actually a minimum outlap time that nobody met, which is why a lot of the reprimands and stuff like that started huh. getting looked into. No, no, they did. They did meet it. They did, they meet, did it. meet it in the end. It was just so. Right. It was just so 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 slow. Yeah, the, <laughs> basically, there, there is matter. Yeah. For for those who didn't know, there is actually a minimum lap time for your outlap to to try well, and that was introduced. That was introduced this race. That was introduced this race. Uh, was it only this race? I thought it was this season. Yeah. No, they made that rule this race. Fine. To, to try and stop. Oh, it interesting. Training. It didn't work. Yeah, it still didn't work. <laughs> well, it wasn't close. They should. It was like a one minute forty five. Yeah, it like was that, ridiculously like, high. Like literally twenty five seconds, like slower than what yeah. it, it it could have been. It could have been. They could have made it a one twenty five, and every car in the top ten would have um, easily, easily yeah. should have easily been beating that. Yeah. So um, yeah, they just weren't strict enough on it. They didn't Im- impose it as a. They, they didn't make the rule strict enough. Yeah, like obviously that kind of philosophy works in Formula E, but I think that's more about the fact that the tracks are so tight that it's almost required for them, isn't it? Yeah. To, to do the shootouts the way that they do. They tend to do um, it in Formula Two and Formula Three and Monaco as well, don't they? Send them out in yeah. like small groups rather than the full grid, but they. Generally, F1 drivers are mature enough to be able to <laughs> not mess things up and get in each other's way. Just this weekend happened to be one that all yeah. fell to bits. I think it's. I think that that kind of a system isn't quite a level enough playing field for this level of motorsport. I feel like you need them all on track at the same time in yeah. order to think because the weather can change, things can change so easily, and there's so much at stake in Formula One. There's so much money on the table. There's mm-hmm. such such um kudos on the table for winning a formula one race that it's you really really do have to give them all an even shout by them being given the same sort of situation yeah. to work with yeah well they had that. they did have a system kind of like what austin suggested in the early 2000s i think so for a few seasons and it was i think it, i think they did qualifying i want to say it was like saturday and sunday morning and they had 
Saturday, and qualifying, didn't yeah, they? so Saturday they went out in championship order to set a lap. And then the order you set on Saturday decided the order you went out on Sunday. So basically whoever was slowest on Saturday went out first. So the fastest person on Saturday had the final lap on Sunday qualifying when the track was technically at its fastest. And it was the same thing then. You just had one car doing a flying lap at a time. And mm. it was an interesting system, but it's nowhere near as interesting as just seeing all the cars on the track yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Brun- Brundle was throwing around the reverse championship sprint race again this weekend. Totally so, on board. Um, like you sort of, you put in <laughs> Russell on pole, as I said during the weekend, just for, let's just yeah. do it. But you essentially put in like Russell on pole and Lewis at the back and making it say a 15 lap race or something so that it's fairly short. And I think he was right in what he was saying is ultimately the fast cars and the fast drivers are going to make their way to the front, qualify somewhere near the front for the points giving race on the Sunday. But you get a bit more of a spectacle of, you know, those drivers having to fight through the field to, to get it. Um, and you've got that and you've got the opportunity for like a Russell or, I don't know, a Giovinazzi or someone that's maybe not got as good a machinery as, as the others to to finish somewhere quite high up if if they do well in that sprint race as well and and then have a, a more interesting Sunday. So there's definitely potential there. Whether whether or not it'll ever happen is another question. But I'd be I, interested I think it's to coming. really see it. Yeah, there's talk there's definitely there's been lots of uh, rumblings of of them changing up the quali- qualifying format. I personally I'd love to see a, a not a qualifying sprint race, but a half points reverse championship yeah. sprint race. Yeah, I I really think something like that is coming sooner rather than later. Yeah. I'd I'd like to see the entire weekend shaken up. I think you don't need as much practice as what they're getting. I think you could probably get away with doing an hour yeah. and a half practice on a Friday afternoon. Um, then sat- Saturday morning you have your reverse grid. No, Saturday morning you have qualifying, then Saturday afternoon you have your reverse championship order, sprint race. No, sorry. You'd have to do... It, it requires thought. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did have nice a solution try. to this. I thought... No, I did, I, I've got... A, I'll have to write it down. I've got a really, really good idea of it, but I've forgotten what it is. <laughs> the thing that it would present, which I like the idea of, is rather than trying to just make the quickest car in clean air, which is what the teams currently do, realistically, if that Saturday race led to a a qualifying position for the full points race on a Sunday, they would have to make a car that is more capable of fighting through the field to to get to that that front-line position. I think it's more... I don't think you qualify with that sprint race. I think the sprint race is its own thing and you get half points for it. You still have qualifying. I, f- I really like qualifying the way it is. I don't think you need to change that. I've, and I f- you don't need to change the Grand Prix. Like Qualifying and Grand Prix are fine. Just ditch some of the practice sessions and have mm. your qualifying... Your reverse grid... Sorry. Your reverse grid half points championship race. This sounds like a winter break... Let's build our perfect F1 weekend <laughs> episode yeah, to me. Could be, could be, yeah. Someone yeah. make a note of that. Yeah. Um, Tom Austin Morgan says, on Albon, his races are very much like Valtteri's. He starts a bit weak and gets better as the race progresses. Is that going to be enough for RBR? I mean, give him a chance, mate. He's only had two races. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, he's, he's had two very solid races, I would say. Yeah, I think he's done well considering the move and stuff and the pressure of the move. I think you've got to give him that opportunity and 
to see how it pans out for the rest of the season now because he's he's proving that he is definitely capable of fighting for the positions he should be fighting for for sure. So. Well, we said before Spa, his first two races to Red Bull are probably going to be Red Bull's two weakest tracks. And if he can come out yeah. of those with decent results, he'll be setting himself up well. And he's got a fifth and a sixth. So I would say that yeah. is some pretty big ticks. Um, and he's shown that he can race wheel to wheel. Um, he's rattled Max into some mistakes. <laughs> 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 but no, it's, it's seriousness. He's, he's doing as much as can be expected of him, I think, so far. Yeah, yeah I'm really impressed. He, I think he's doing fine. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does in um, Singapore. Yes. Singapore's like going to be, should be happy hunting ground for um, for Red Bull. So yeah. I think that's when the, the real pressure is going to be on him because he ought to be, he's had two good results now. So he's, in theory, he should have his head around the car. He should have the best car for the job at Singapore. So he's got to do something with it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Phil Mark says, uh, with the Clare's season going as well as it is so far, and with his two lights to flag finishers, is this a message to Ferrari to make him number one driver? If not this year, then at least maybe next year. Could he be the next Schumacher or Hamilton and be as dominant as them? Certainly age is in his favour, but does he have the car set up and development know-how to be as good as we all hope? He's certainly not there yet. Um, I guess the thing he's got going for him is he's already in a top team this early yeah. in his career. So if he can just keep his seat and sort of build that team around him, learn all these things that you mentioned within that, well, it sort of depends on Ferrari, doesn't it, really? I think he's got it in him to fill in those gaps in his sort of skill sets to be that good whether Ferrari can give him a car to actually deliver yeah. is a different question yeah mm. is it a team that keep keep their drivers they're not a team that tend to you know th- th- they change their team manager more often than they change their drivers in yeah yes yeah. so I think he's in the right from a driver side he's definitely in like absolutely in a, a good environment for yeah. him yeah completely I'm I'm one hundred percent I'm one hundred percent behind him having the potential to be a Schumacher or a Hamilton. Um we've talked about like Chris has already mentioned it this episode, like there's bits of his racecraft that he's got to fine tune, but we see it from from them all. Like they they're they're never perfect when they first start out. You gotta remember it is like two years in now, so it's <laughs> Yeah, and he's got a lot it's, of years It's another of case of like, you know, give him a chance to be this strong already in the Ferrari when he's got a four-time world champion sat next to him in the garage who appears to be crumbling race by race. Like, I think to keep his head in that and, and go and use it to his advantage, he's showing his strengths already. But yeah, give, give him time. He's still young. He's still got 10 to 15 years left in him by sort of Raikkonen and Hamilton and Vettel's standards of how long you can sort of survive in the sport so Mm. yeah yeah i mean and the fact that he turned up to monza with hundred and odd thousand people expecting him to deliver and didn't crack under that pressure is a very good sign i think that meme the meme (laughs) the uh, the, the inauguration thing inauguration meme was brilliant so good we'll have to share that 
Um, Sam Van Houten says, I just finished watching this race and although the battle between Mercs and Fezzers, which I very much enjoy his name for Ferrari, um, was highly entertaining, I can't help but feel slightly confused as to how Charles could get away with F-ups like this and not be penalised at all for it. Uh, I love Charles, but this was too much, surely. We've sort of gone over that, I guess, already. Um, on another note, it seems Seb is doing a Benjamin Button and going from great driver to absolute yeah. noob in this reversed way. Your thoughts? Um, <laughs> I like the idea of ha- Benjamin Button's disease. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've had a few um, Vettel opinions sent in, so I'll kind of rattle through a few and we'll talk about the lot, I guess. Uh, Katie says Vettel this year reminds me of 2014 Vettel, unable to challenge his teammate consistently. Uh, honestly, would not be surprised if he ends up leaving Ferrari this year. Can't see him retiring just yet. Uh, Alex Thompson says, poor old Vettel, what are 12 months? Mm-hmm. Not sure what I think in terms of Vettel being F1 next year or even still at Ferrari. Don't see him being a support tact for Leclerc next season, though. Mitch Herrera says, um, after Vettel's disappointing Monza performance and overall not a great time at Ferrari this season, can we expect him to move back to Red Bull? Now they've said they'll look at outside drivers. Uh, and then finally, Alex Thompson says, just a thought from our old friend Alonso on Vettel back in 2013. Uh, Alonso said, when he has a car like the others, if he wins, he will have great recognition and be one of the legends of F1. If he's fourth, fifth or seventh, these titles will be bad news for him. How true that is. Proving. Wow. Oh, that's a good one. It's a great quote he's pulled out there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's some truth to that. Like, you can't get away from the fact that all of his world titles, well, no, that's not fair. I would say at least two, maybe three of his four titles came at a time when he very much had the dominant car. That'd yeah. be, I mean, if you're getting into three there, that's most, Chris. So it is definitely you're, you're most. right the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, on this whole thing, like officially, he's got one more year left at Ferrari. His his last contract was to 2020 to see him through next season. So yeah. officially, on paper, yeah, on paper, yeah, yeah, on paper, he's there next year. The, there's a couple of people sort of mentioned it in the comments there. Like, if he was was to leave Ferrari but stay in the sport, I honestly can't see him wanting to do something like what Kim has done and go drive for no. a middle of the pack team and like develop a car again because I don't think he's got that desire in him. I think the only thing that would keep him if he left Ferrari is a potential championship winning seat or at least a race winning seat and I don't know how much that Red Bull's an option really when part of the reason he left Red Bull was because of Max and Max is still numero uno as far as they're concerned he is the one so mm. does he really want to go there and get beaten by Max like that's... exactly nah. exactly just it's... making things worse isn't it yeah, uh, look, I don't, I don't want to speculate. I have great, great, great respect for Sebastian Definitely. Vettel. He's, of course, um, he's absolutely, you know, he's a, he's a once or twice in a generation driver. I say twice because Hamilton's more or less like he's a <laughs> yeah. little bit older than him. Um, we've been, we've been so lucky in this era of Formula One to have some absolutely amazing drivers. And whatever happens to Vettel, he's, he, I think anyone who wins four world championships and he was young when he did it yeah anyone who does that is a legend in my eyes so yeah oh, and you got sure. to go back to things like early in his career like the the whole win at monza for toro rosso and things like that i know it was weather permitting but that was still a fantastic drive it's like nothing he's, wrong he's, with that yeah yeah he's, he's capable of 
he's capable of so much more than we see at the minute. And I think that's why it's so hard to talk about the fact that he might retire is because we all know that he'd be going out on a season that does not accurately represent how he's been for the rest of his career. Like mm. he's had a couple of bad years and it would be nice if he could maybe go through 2020, have a strong year. And then if he wants to walk away, walk away at the end of his contract on the end of it, like a, a strong year, maybe not, maybe not even necessarily a title winning year, but a solid year where this criticism is not floating around him because it, I think he does deserve a better like Send bow off. out than that. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a shame to see him just kind of fade, not into obscurity, but just kind of his results mm. just wane. Do you really think, think he'd retire the end of next season, though? Do you not think he'd stick around for the new rule changes just to see how things shake out? The new rules, I think, will be right up Vettel's street. Um, yeah. You know, he... he his championships were all won at a time when cars were developing a lot of ground effect downforce. Yeah. yeah. And he likes that. So I, I can see him doing or I, I, I can't see him leaving before 2021. I think he will have a, I think he'll probably be in a Ferrari in 2021 still. I think all this speculation is flim flam. He'll be there. They've got faith in him. He's still their number one driver. Yeah. Leclerc's had two wait, two race wins in a row. Vettel's had a bit of bad luck over the last sort of year or so. He'll come back. I've I've got faith in him. Like I'm not his biggest fan, but I've I've got faith in the guy that'll come back. He's a strong, strong driver. Um Yeah, I'd I'd love to see him winning races and really taking the fight at the front. Yeah, I think definitely. he can do that. I still think he can do that. I think if he once he's got the car underneath him, I think part of it is I've said it before. Ferrari drivers never criticise Ferrari cars and I don't think I have heard him criticise the Ferrari car ever no. but part of me thinks that it's probably not quite as well suited to him as maybe some of the cars have been in the past and you'll note as well like the since this new aero package came in in what 2015 you're testing me now <laughs> Well, yeah. it's not been around that long. The, ex- the spec that yeah. we're on, has it? But no. Well, it was, I mean, the spec we're on now is like exclusive to this season. It's quite different from from even last season. But you know, wide. wide Twenty sixteen was the last cars. sort of high rear wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears> since <throat> we've come into twenty seventeen, these cars have been a little feel like they've been a little bit less up his street. Then he's, he's found them backwards a lot more than forwards <laughs> than <Yeah>. he used to. <laughs> so, and it's often it's, it has been in corners where he struggled, where you would be using that ground effect downforce. So, yeah, it's true. I think once we've got once we get into twenty twenty one, then he'll be right back in the mix. You believe me? You watch. I hope that's the case. I really do. Uh, if if anything, like there's been we've talked about whether this is going to be his last year most of the season and if anything i started off saying no and i'm maybe leaning slightly more towards yes than i was early in the season but <laughs> i don't know I, I still very much hope you're right Stu, and he's going to stick around for a few more years because yeah he's, he's, a, he's I, a good person for the sport for sure yeah he is and i'm to be honest from my side like just on a personal level i'm getting a bit bored of hearing so much criticism of him like it's it's not fair for the media and for the internet the way it is to just like pile onto him 
And well, it's the same as what's happened to Bottas, isn't it? And it's happened to well, yeah, it is. And it, but it's you know, it's it's not right. Like these guys no. deserve respect. Not Gasly be, as well. All yeah. these armchair keyboard warriors, you know, spouting opinions about. I mean, we can't talk. We're doing a podcast, but <laughs> all these people who've got all these massive, massive opinions. That you know, they've never sat in a half of them, never even sat in a race car, never mind a Formula One car. No, a lot of them probably can't even drive in the first place. So, trying to send, mate, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it probably helps a lot that Vettel basically doesn't go on the internet. I don't think he certainly doesn't do yeah. social media. Yeah, I'm gonna say he's lives not gonna in a log cabin in, it, in, the, in the outback somewhere in, in, in <laughs> yeah. Bavaria. Um, yeah, well, fair play to him if he does. <laughs> Yeah, he's had a rough couple of years, but I, I think it'd be very good for the sport for him to be back fighting at the front. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for twenty twenty one. I think it's going to be wicked, but that's a okay, whole different episode. Very ahead of yourself there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is it for this week as well. So that has been the Italian GP review. Um, <laughs> we will be back next week to look ahead to Singapore. Um, in the meantime, if you would like to follow us, you can do so on Twitter, which is Back of the Grid F1. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Back of the Grid. Um, we're on Instagram at Back of the Grid as well. Uh, you can also head to backofthegrid.com where there's a contact form and you can obviously register for the Predictions League, like we mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, please remember to like, share, and subscribe with the podcast wherever you are. It does help immensely. Uh, but that is it for this week. So it is goodbye from me and goodbye from these two. Bye. Bye. Charles Leclerc hates being called Charlie, and he also hates cinnamon. <laughs> it will be forever be Charlie I don't know if that's true <laughs> any of it <laughs> it started off sounding like a relevant comment and then also cinnamon <laughs> <laughs>